and welcome to the Deadhead Cannabis Show. Jim Marty here, reporting from my barn in Longmont, Colorado. I am Larry Michigan here. Jim, nice to hear from you. Always a pleasure to hear from you in the barn. Yeah. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about today, but I think before we can realistically get into any of it, you were at that fish show last night, the, uh, the first of three at Dick's. And uh, for those of us that weren't able to make it, even though we may have seen set list, that never does it justice. Please tell, how was the show? It was really, really good. Probably the best show I've seen in a long time. Uh, they're, they're just playing amazing. Just they, just from the minute they hit the stage, they're just blazing. And we got a sand and a free and blaze on sand. But when they were just playing, it, it just all ran together. I really didn't even know what songs they were playing. The jams were just so electric and so out there. It was really good. But I think they're outgrowing that facility. Dix is a wonderful soccer arena. It's not that old. It was built uh, around the year 2000, I believe. And just a great 30,000-person venue. And the sound is just phenomenal in there. They have it down. The first year they did this was 2011, and they've done it every Labor Day since then. But there was so many people outside looking for tickets. It was a, a crazy scene. I've never seen it so tight for tickets. They were selling for $200 and $300 on the internet. You know, people who never miss a fish show were were not going to be able to go to some of the nights just because of the cost of the tickets on the secondary market. So I wonder if next year they might move to a bigger facility like Folsom Field, where where Dead & Company plays, because that holds 60,000, so literally twice what Dick's Soccer Arena holds. But uh, we're looking forward to the next two nights. Like I said, the band and the music and the audience, we were all one for a little bit there last night. Wonderful time. So anyway, we have a special guest. Oh, you got- wait, wait, let me let me just jump in on this for a minute here because I love what you're saying. And there's a couple of things that you're saying there that as a deadhead ring true to me. And what really makes me as a deadhead appreciate fish and, you know, really find myself being swept more and more into that universe. First of all, wasn't that always the sign of a good dead show when you could be out there just kind of hanging out in your own space and all of a sudden they hit a note and you're like, oh yeah, that's what they were playing. Mm-hmm. Yep. I forgot what they were playing. I was having such a good time. They were so far out there. You know, I may have even missed a song in between if they sandwiched one in there. And, and you know, that's the level clearly that Fish is at. And I mean, it's, not, it's no surprise that they are, you know, given where they are at this stage of their career and you know it seems important and worth remembering you know people joke about fish 1.0 2.0 and 3.0 but the real significance of that to me is it gave these guys a chance to recharge trade and clean up and for them to come back in an age when jerry was gone and the dead were already splintering you know they're they're taking it to the next level and just moving on And, and i have to say you're also right jim that if you remember for the dead i believe it was at deer creek in indiana was the night that the, you know they, they crossed the line and the deadheads tore down a fence to get in and after that the dead were like that's it and you know we, we basically had to see them in football stadiums for the rest of their career which you know was still great to see the dead um, but it's all you know it, it's a sign of success but at the same time you, know, you you lose a little something with it 
one other thing that I might throw in there that's, that's relevant to this whole thing about what's going on with Trey. I don't know if you had a chance to see this, but any, for those of you who were there, I'm, I'm envious beyond belief. And for those of you that weren't there, I hope you've had a chance to see this on YouTube. And if not, the minute we're done talking, you should run to YouTube and check this out. But last week at Lockin, Trey came on stage with Tedeschi Trucks, or I believe it was the second set of their show, and they covered the entire Layla album from start to finish. And not only is it one of my favorite rock and roll albums of all time, but people don't remember that everybody just thinks of Eric Clapton. Dwayne Allman played slide lead guitar on the Layla album. He was part of Derek and the Dominoes, and he was part of that sound that makes it unique. And to have Trey standing in and very ably filling in for, for the Eric Clapton side of it, but you have Derek Trucks doing the Dwayne Allman piece, and that's what made it you know, really put it in that league. It, it had to be one of the best sets of music I've ever seen. And even Trey, I think, this is what I love about him. You're sitting there watching Trey while he's playing, and he's just staring at Derek Trucks. And in the back of my mind, what I think and maybe even hope Trey is saying is, oh, my God, I am five feet away from this guy. Look at how amazing he's playing. And I'm up here with him. Not to take anything away from Trey at all, who's fantastic, but... Yeah. Derek Trucks just takes all of that to such another level. It's such an amazing set of music. If you haven't seen it, please go out and watch it right away. Yes, Trey is playing yeah. at a very, very high level. And as one of my friends once said at a dead show, there was moments when the band and the crowd and the music were all on the same page. We're just all right there on the same yep. page. It was wonderful. Yep. So anyway... Got lots of stuff to talk about. We have a special guest today. We have one of our associates who runs the Bridge West uh, New Orleans office. Uh, Peter Prevo is a uh, business manager with our firm, and he's very politically active in Louisiana. He's been instrumental in getting their medical marijuana program off the ground. So, um, Peter, are, are you there? Hey, Jim. Thanks for the introduction. I am here. Hi, Peter. Nice to have you on the show. Thanks, guys. I'm excited to be here. That was uh, quite a recap there, Jim. I'm jealous that you got a few more nights of that. Yes, two more nights. Got to pace yourself. But anyway, this was a big month in Louisiana because the nine, they don't call them dispensaries in Louisiana, they're pharmacies, opened earlier this month. Peter, Peter, tell us what's going on. Yeah, August 6th, we saw the launch of the program officially, which, uh, you know, that consisted of release of the product to the nine pharmacies. And uh, I'll kind of tell you a little bit about the setup of the program here for those who aren't familiar. So everything on the cultivation and manufacturing side, those permits were awarded to our state agricultural colleges. So Louisiana State University and Southern University are running those facilities. And so what we saw were tinctures released to the nine pharmacies, and that's the product that they started with. And they came in three different ratios. So there was a THC-rich ratio, a one-to-one ratio of THC to CBD, and then also a 20 to 1 ratio of um, CBD to THC. And those products went out. We were able to see about 5,000 patients so far in, uh, in August. And so definitely a, you know, big, a big marker for the Deep South and uh, getting some very, very good feedback on the patient level. And I can share some, kind of some of those numbers with you. Well, so that's our great. average patient age is um, 51 yeah, years old. <clears throat> They're about 53% males. Um, about 12.5% identified as minorities. 56% reported using cannabis previously. 
and about 28.5% reported taking opioids uh, currently. So good data there, and you know, that, that'll continue to be collected, and definitely an exciting time in the South here, and seeing things change after years and years of uh, pushing down at the, down in Baton Rouge at the state legislature. Well, that's great. And you, your program is really interesting in that all the cultivation and manufacturing is run through the two universities, LSU and Southern U? Yep, that's correct. That's correct. And so the way that that logic, we have, obviously have many other universities in the state, but those are the only two that are considered uh, land-grant agricultural colleges. And so that's how the legislation was written. And it's a unique feature. You know, it's uh, if you've ever worked in a university setting, which I actually did previously before joining the cannabis industry, I worked at a medical school for five years. And uh, you know, there's a certain level of bureaucracy that comes with the university, and it makes things like this somewhat difficult to roll out. But, however, you know, on the flip side, once you've actually got it up and running, the university partnerships can be very valuable. And, you know, we're also seeing kind of a level of consistency. And with there only being two producers, we're going to see a very high level of consistency, which is something that, you know, has been an issue in other states. But, you know, there is limited supply chain as far as you know, only having the two producers, but they're allowed to build you know as many facilities as they want. There's not a, a real limit on their um, canopy size or anything like that. Well, that's good. So, that, and you said supply and demand have been kind of in sync. Yes, um, you know, we saw a lot of delays early on, so that allowed LSU and their partner GB Sciences to really build up some inventory before the release, and they were also calculated that they only released the one product form to start, being the tinctures and those three ratios that I mentioned earlier. We'll see some additional products rolling out as far as dosage forms. So currently what's allowed by law are sublinguals, pills, tinctures, creams, suppositories, transdermal patches, and um, beater dose inhalation devices. And so we'll start to see more variety of the products over time, but GB is definitely, and LSU are definitely rolling out kind of one product at a time to make sure that that supply for each product is consistent. And so, yeah, no, no shortages yet, and GB is on a perpetual harvest cycle. And so they're, you know, they're harvesting every couple of weeks, which is good news for the patients. Excellent. Larry, do you have questions for Peter? I wanted to ask Peter a quick question. First of all, I'm glad to hear uh, that there's another state that we've added to the list of those that are moving forward with cannabis in one form or another. It's a great way to, to open the door. And hopefully, you know, as with other states, this one will advance forward, too, which leads me to my question. You know, that a lot of people have, I think, when we hear about these types of programs. Is there any talk at all in the legislature about the addition of uh, the availability of flour at the retail level. So, yeah, so that discussion really, you know, it's out there amongst the patient groups. We're seeing that, you know, particularly online on social media and then any of the public meetings that we go to, we definitely hear patients that, are, you know, benefit from whole plant medicine and they want to see that on the menus. There's not currently a major discussion at the legislature surrounding that. And I think that that's in large part due to that we had a lot of other cleanup to do to get the, the program up and running. However, you know, I think that there is a good bit of momentum out there with the patient side being active, talking about it, and the fact that so Florida, you know, one of our neighbors, they just launched their flower sales, and uh, Arkansas just launched their program, and they're flower only right now. So regionally, we're seeing some motion on that, and I think that that's going to be the key to, to seeing this, this change over time to getting the patients to that whole plant medicine. So I, I would imagine 2021 would be a year that, that something like that might get targeted realistically. Okay. Good. Good. It's nice to have to know that that's out there. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Um, that was a great update. You know, the purpose of this show is to, to share what's going on around the country in the world of cannabis. You know, I, I feel, Larry, like we're in the center of a giant wave. 
of this industry getting off the ground as we talk about what's going on in all the states. And it is really just the beginning. You know, the oldest cannabis companies are maybe 10 years old, maybe a little older in California. But yeah, my days are very, very busy uh, taking phone calls and talking to people all over the country about what's going on. So and speaking of around the country, um, what's going on in Illinois these days? Well, I will give you an update. First of all, Peter, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure uh, to hear from other people and to hear about uh, what's going on with programs everywhere else. Keep up the good work down there. That's exciting, and we'd love to get updates as that program moves forward. I know uh, New Orleans is a popular visitor's destination, and uh, people will always be interested to know what's happened down in that part of the world. Uh, Illinois moves forward. We're all anxiously awaiting for the applications to drop. Applications for dispensaries ought to be dropping sometime within the next 30 days. The statute said that we would have them on or before October 1st. So here we go. There's some questions, of course, because rulemaking process in Illinois actually would seem to take a little bit longer uh, to play itself out. But that has never stopped uh, people in Illinois before. So I would not be the least bit surprised to see those applications drop when they say they're going to. Uh, I think they really want to grab a hold of that momentum. Uh, that's been generated out there and moving forward. You're absolutely right, Jim. My phone's been ringing off the hook, and it's all that I can do to stay on top of talking to the people that all have questions about the program and want to know if they can get in and how it's going to work. It's exciting times for us to see it here. You know, we're, we're, we're anxious for these applications to drop so we can get moving on it and get everything going forward, but we think that it has tremendous potential. I know that most of the big medical license holders are or have already taken advantage of the uh, opportunity by the state to uh, turn their current medical dispensaries into dual purpose ones and to also pick up one additional adult use dispensary for every medical one that they have and there's already been zoning board hearings in the city and other places as a lot of these guys buy for some of the more popular spots uh, in the downtown chicago area yes and on the production side I believe they're allowing the existing medical cultivators to get a running start at January 1st and build up the inventory. That's absolutely correct. Yeah, they, they can start growing out on all of their space. The unfortunate part of the medical program was it was never heavily populated. And as a result, most of the commercial growers were only growing on very small fractions of the actual canopy space that they had. The good news is that now they've got a whole lot of additional space that they can move into on which they believe they will be able to manufacture and produce enough flour and product to be able to satisfy the expected sharp increase in demand come January 1st. Right. Well, very good. Very exciting times around the country. Probably don't have time to get into it on this show, maybe the next show. But, Larry, you want to give us a tease on some of the zoning issues that are going on and opting in and opting out? That's a great point, Jim, and it's really something that, that will take a little bit longer and we'll have to get into it during the next show. Uh, but in Illinois right now, uh, under the adult use statute, municipalities have the right to opt out so long as they do so within the first year of the program. And there are, in huh. fact, a number of municipalities in the Chicago metropolitan area, larger municipalities, places like Naperville and Wheaton and Highland Park, that have opted out or are in the process of opting out. And it, it's a fascinating process to me what drives communities to decide to opt out and what it means to the program overall if certain population areas that were going to be primary targets for dispensary owners are now off the table. 
So that's something I look forward to talking with you about next time and hear you know, if you guys have experienced anything similar in Colorado or in other states. Yeah, that's all very interesting. You know, coming from the accounting and CPA side of the world at Bridge West, I'm very interested in, you know, what, what these opting in and opting out means for business valuations. And we'll talk about that more next time, too, because if yep. you have a much smaller footprint on where you can be, it makes that space that much more valuable. I agree. All right. I agree. Well, this has been a, a great show. I think we're going to sign off here in just a few minutes. And a couple hours, we'll be heading back to uh, the soccer arena for another. For this is the big Saturday night show uh, for fish. So this will be the big one. I'm hoping tickets loosen up for the Sunday show. We're still short a ticket or two for our crew. But um, anyway, I would say over and out. Yeah, let me just, let me throw this in really fast. Uh, first of all, you know when you're when you're not there, there's almost nothing worse than uh, you know than, than talking to somebody who's in the middle of their three night run. Just quite frankly, there ain't no place I'd rather be. And mm-hmm. I'm sure it's going to be great. I'm sure you're going to have a wonderful time tonight. Uh, they really are hitting on all cylinders. And you know, I have to say, as, as a guy who very very admittedly has come way, way late to the fish party, but as you know, I'm happy that I finally got here. It was interesting because when they were at Alpine and we were all, you know, people were debating about the Friday, Saturday night show versus the Sunday show. Well, Sunday is the work night, this and that, but of course, as all the fish heads will tell you, you never miss a Sunday night show. And uh, don't forget this Sunday night show that they pulled out up at Alpine Valley where they were pulling out songs 25 years old and teasing people who were, you know, talking about getting married. I think that there's something to that Sunday night show business with fish. And the nice thing about uh, these shows is Monday's a holiday, so we have a day to recover. Right. That's the best part of all. We'll have a great time, Jim. Okay, everybody. Over and out from the Deadhead Cannabis Show. listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.